This is the EWN Podcast Network. Everybody wants to win. It's how we define success in life. Michelle Nagel explores resilience, teaches you happiness hacks, and provides tools for building positive relationships, all of which are essential for winning at the game of life. Join us to learn how to roar. Welcome to Roar to Win. This is Michelle Nagel, your host, with our guest today, who is Danya Fami. And Danya is the CEO and alchemist in chief of Sustainable Health Solutions Incorporated and founder and formulator for Dropwise Essentials, a line of aromatherapy, aromatherapy and organic plant-based personal care products. Danya is also a speaker, a number one Amazon international best-selling author, and a natural health and lifestyle expert. She's passionate about helping women over 40 master the art of using natural solutions to experience more energy and better health so they can continue to look and feel good and enjoy productive lives as they age, something she calls sustainable wellness success. So I invited Danya here because she's able to use natural solutions to come up uh, to successfully overcome two decades of chronic health problems that doctors and medications couldn't resolve. And that's a really frustrating place to be. So Danya is here to give her expertise to show us what it is that uh, she did and maybe you can learn something that will help you as well. So welcome, Danya. Hi, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. So I've known you for several years now and you've always been talking about a way to um, achieve sustainable wellness and sustainable health. And why is that important to you? Uh, well, it's important because if health is one of the things I see is that most people take their health for granted until they get a wake up call of some kind. And if they're lucky, it's a mind like I was, and I'll share a little bit about my story with you here in a bit. But if they're lucky, it's not a really main, like life threatening or major thing. It's something they can work through and eventually kind of get out to the other side. But if they're not so lucky, you know, for many people who are coming, having cancer now, and not finding out about it until it's kind of late stage or you know stage three and that sort of thing. For a lot of people, it might be too late. So it's been a real passion of mine to help people avoid going down that rabbit hole where they're going to be miserable and 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 disabled as they get older. And I've had that also experience firsthand with my parents. My father was ill for many years, and then he passed away about eleven years ago. He was just in his seventies, but I watched him go through this process. And uh, so it really like it resonated with me that, that, that my mission, so to speak, <laughs> or my gift is to help people avoid that destiny and do it without having to rely on doctors and medication. And again, that sprung from my own personal experience when I was going through my health crises. Okay, so um, you, you did try the um, doctors and medication route first? Oh, yeah, for a very, very long time. <laughs> Okay. Because uh, my problems started, my health issues, I had many chronic health problems, upper respiratory issues, digestive issues, you know, you name it, uh, migraines, and so on from my 20s. So from actually like college on into my late 30s, I had these recurring issues. And I went to doctors and, med and took medication because that's how I was raised to believe that when you're not well, when you don't feel good, you go to the doctor. They give you medicine and it fixes you. <laughs> mm -hmm. At least we like to believe that. And many people do still believe that. Uh, but my personal experience was 
uh, that uh, things would just keep coming back. Issues would keep coming back. They'd resurface. So I'd be told, oh, you're, you know, you're healthy. You have a strong immune system. You're young. Here, just take this. Or I have nothing to give you. You know, you're just going to have to tough it out. And so it was a, a real bumpy ride. When I was in college, however, you know, every time you get sick and you go to the health, you know, center or the nurse or whatever, they just give you like antibiotics. Oh, you have a lump in your throat? Here's some antibiotics. <laughs> take a course of antibiotics. So I took quite a few courses of antibiotics in college for sinus infections and bronchitis and that kind of stuff. And then um, it just got progressively worse. And as I was kind of out in the working world in my mid 20s, um, I started having digestive problems. I started having chronic fatigue. And this is way back before we even had these as official diagnoses in the medical world. Um, I think back then they called it the yuppie flu. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what they called it. Yeah. This is like, what do I want to say, like mid-80s, mid to late 80s. Uh, yuppie flu is what it was called, the early chronic fatigue syndrome before it was labeled chronic fatigue syndrome was called yuppie flu because lots of young yuppies were coming down with it. Uh, and the thing is, you know, we, the human body is, is pretty resilient. It can take a lot of abuse, you know. And when you're young, you feel like you're invincible. So when I was in my 20s, I just had this real um, roller coaster kind of ride, you know. I was like, I would wake up certain days and I would just be bone tired and couldn't get out of bed. I mean, it was just like that bad. And then a day or two later, we're going to be totally fine. I'd be like, okay, let's time to go out and party and make up for lost time and have fun, which was probably not the smartest thing to do, but <laughs> there was no one there to like say, hey, you know, maybe you want to ease off that a little bit and rest more and, you know, exercise and eat vegetables and whatever, whatever, you know, we didn't, just didn't have a lot. Um, I'd say like the natural health trend or craze was just in its very um, early stages back then. So there wasn't mm -hmm. a lot of, and of course we didn't really have the internet back then either. So there wasn't a lot of readily accessible information on that particular topic. Although for, and I can't even tell you how that started, but I'd always had an interest in natural health and wellness. I did an internship when I was in college for a magazine, a diet and health magazine. And maybe that's what sparked it originally. Um, and this was when I was like in my, you know, early twenties, but anyway, there was this path we were coming, going down this path of recurring problems, going to doctors, getting antibiotics or, um, you know, some other kind of prescription medication and not resolving. And then, um, what happened was I moved, uh, I was, I grew up in New York city and I moved to California in the uh, late eighties. And after I moved here, I started having asthma. Hmm. I, I don't know where that came from. Uh, I went into the clinics here and I got tested and they said, yes, you have a little bit of asthma uh, here. Let's put you on this cortisol inhaler for like, a, I used it for about a year. It did the trick. So that was the thing. It's like, you'd go to the doctor, you'd get a fix medicine or a treatment or whatever, and you would get better for a while and you think, okay, everything's good. And then a little further on down the road, either the same thing come back to bite you or something different, or something worse. <laughs> so it's just like, of course, this is all in hindsight that like, I'm able to like tell you this, that I could look back on my path, my trajectory, and see what was actually happening. But at the time when it's happening to you, you're not thinking about it. So mm -hmm. I got my, what I call my health crisis came in my mid-30s when I had a really nasty outbreak of eczema. Mm -hmm. Really, really bad. It was so bad. Like when I first got it, I would like, scratch myself in my sleep until I bled and I didn't even know I was doing this. I'd wake up in the morning and be like, oh no, look at the sheets. It's really unpleasant. There were days I was working in corporate at the time. There were days I'd wake up, I'd shower, 
uh, get dressed and within five minutes of putting on the pantyhose, the unbearable itching would start and I would have to immediately get undressed and call in sick to work. Mm-hmm. Now, you, most people don't think of eczema. They think of it as like an annoying skin thing, which it is, uh, but they don't think of it as something that could be that debilitating or that could kind of interfere with your productivity or ability to show up for work, what have you. And that was sort of the beginning of a seven-year journey on that, on that one health issue, where I was just going from one dermatologist to another. Not a single one of them could tell me what was causing the problem. Not a single one of them could offer a different treatment protocol. It was all the same thing. Here, cortisone, get a cortisone shot and take prescription strength antihistamines. And to be honest, the cortisone shot was the only thing that actually worked, that kept, you know, that controlled the itching so that I wasn't so miserable. Nothing else worked. None of the over-counter products worked. None of the prescription antihistamines worked. And so I was really miserable for a long time. And the thing about it is I'm kind of like a problem solver by nature, you know, an outside-the-box thinker. And I just was stressed to no end because I was like, well, if we can't figure out what's causing the problem, how are we ever going to fix it? Am Mm -hmm. I just going to have to live like this for the rest of my life? Is this going to be my new normal? I'm going to accept it? I'm like, no way. (laughs) So it got to the point where I was finally like, okay, the next time I had an outbreak, instead of going to a dermatologist, I went to my primary care physician at the time. And I told her, you know, everything that had been happening over the years. And, and she looked at me straight in there and she said, well, I'm not going to give you a cortisone shot. And I was like, okay, um, so what do we do? She goes, I was like, well, why wouldn't you? You know, what else is there? No one else has suggested an alternative. And she said, well, and this came straight from the horse's mouth. And she said, well, we as doctors don't really know how cortisone works in the body. We don't know that if we give you a, an injection now and your skin clears up and then six months later it comes back, if it came back because the effects of the cortisone were just wearing off or it came back for a different reason. Mm-hmm. And I had like a light bulb moment. <laughs> I was sitting, it was almost like an out-of-body experience. I'm like sitting in, the, in her office and then I'm like floating to the top looking down and going, oh my God, they really don't know what they're doing. This has been my suspicion all along. How much worse could it get if I just stopped doing this and tried something else? Mm-hmm. So that was the sort of the the trigger point, if you will, or however you want to call it. That's what catapulted me onto this path in natural healing and wellness because I, I fired all my doctors, not officially, obviously. I just stopped going, and I decided I'm taking matters into my own hands, and I've got, I'm going to research this and find a better solution. So mm-hmm. I started delving into books about plants as medicine, all forms, so essential oils, um, flower essences, homeopathy, herbs, everything. And I thought, well, I'm going to start here with aromatherapy because I'd already have like a small collection of essential oils that I had just been playing with as a hobby and see what I can, I'm going to just mix something together and see what happens. So I, you know, researched what oils are good for the skin, what oils are good for inflammation, what oils were good for itching, all that kind of stuff. And I made a blend and I applied it topically and it was remarkably effective at controlling the itching. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a miracle. I don't want to mislead anyone to think it was a miracle. Oh, my son, I put that stuff on and boom, the eczema was gone. It wasn't, uh, but it was, it was manageable in a way that had never been up in, up in like for those past six and a half, seven years. Mm-hmm. So that was another light bulb moment. I was like, wow, this stuff really works. There's something to it. So I started delving even deeper <laughs> into the research. And um, the next time I had an outbreak of eczema, I applied my blend topically and I had been reading in um, Chinese medicine Issues of the skin, whether it's eczema, psoriasis, whatever it may be, are tied to problems with the liver 
or problems with the lungs. And I had not made the connection yet because it was, I was all, it was all so new for me at that time that it was connected to my lungs. I'd had all these this like years and years of upper respiratory issues, but it had sort of been eclipsed, you know, by the skin stuff. And so in my mind, I was like, okay, it's liver. You know, I used to drink in college. It must be that. And so I found a tincture for liver support, an herbal tincture, and I supplemented with that while I did the topical essential oils. And then when that episode cleared up, I was completely free of eczema and skin trouble for almost 10 years. Wow. I know. <laughs> so wow. I went from seven years of misery and like, you know, tearing my hair out, like, how am I going to fix this problem? You know, <laughs> I can't function like this. It's just, it's horrible. Because also, you know, when you have that, you don't feel good about the way you look, just like any illness, right? You, you know, especially with skin stuff, because, you know, I didn't want to wear sleeveless tops and show all the, you know, all the red blotches on my arms and my legs, all this kind of stuff. So there's a self-conscious um, kind of uh, component to that as well. So when we don't, we don't feel good, we don't look good, we don't feel good about the way we look, and it's sort of this compounding effect. So mm -hmm. all these experiences that I had had up until then, you know, once it opened up for me, I was like, oh, my God, this is like a big deal. And this is something that needs to be addressed in some way, some way or shape or form. So that was the early um, start. But what happened was I got all excited about essential oils. And I thought, wow, how awesome and amazing would it be to create just a personal care product line made with essential oils where people are using these products day in, day out. And instead of exposing themselves to all the nasty chemicals that are the tens of thousands of chemicals that are in personal care products still today, unregulated, that instead that they're kind of like, I don't know, I don't want to say bathing because I don't mean bathing in a literal sense. I mean it more in a, in a conceptual way. You're kind of like enveloping yourself in, the, in these oils that are so healing and have such healing properties and they're great for stress and they're great for grounding and they're great for a whole mess of different things. How awesome would it be? Create this line and people have these products that they use every day and it would help them be healthier, feel better, um, avoid illness, become less dependent on doctors and medication and support the environment while they're doing it. So I've always been like a green business, you know, from that perspective. Right. So I started Dropwise, which was the line of aromatherapy and organic personal care products. And I got all wrapped up in that <laughs> for many, many years. It was really fun and exciting in the early years. All my um, needs, you know, as entrepreneurs, we, well, well, as human beings, we all have certain needs. And those get expressed in what we choose to do and on, on our entrepreneurial path. So in my particular situation, I love to learn. I love to teach. And I love to create. So mm -hmm. in that mode, I was learning and creating learning and creating. So I was feeling very satisfied, but from a business perspective, I wasn't focused on, you know, how can I make this profitable? How can I make it work as a business? And I'm sure a lot of people, women especially, um, have had this experience in the past. At any rate, I got wrapped up in that product business for a very long time. And my vision when I started that, visit, that particular product business was I wanted to educate and inspire people to embrace a, a plant-based lifestyle and then give them some great products to help them do that. And I got kind of away from that vision. I was so preoccupied with the, with the operational aspect of creating products, packaging, labeling, shipping, and then I was trying to do wholesale and sell direct to consumer, and it got to be overwhelming. <laughs> and I took a step back. I took a pause when my father passed away to really reevaluate. 
And at that point, I said, all right, I'm going to just sell direct to consumer on the internet and um, save myself this sort of hassle of dealing with, you know, brokers and distribution. And I think there was part of me that was not viewing that business as something that was going to be like a really large scale thing. Mm-hmm. There was some part of me that was resisting that. Uh-huh. Uh, and, but it's not really sustainable <laughs> if you're trying to do it all yourself on your own. So there was a couple of years of, of struggling with that, trying to figure that out. And then I finally took another time, briefer time out. And I said, okay, how am I um, delivering on my mission and my vision, my original mission and my vision, which was to educate and inspire people to embrace a plant-based lifestyle. I don't feel like this is the most effective way to do it right now. So I want to take a look at how I can do that. So I started exploring how I could use the online world, you know, online um, platform, so to speak, to educate, right? Because you can reach a larger number of people on, on the internet than in any other medium, any other traditional medium. Right. So, Donya, let me ask you a question. Um, so you said that you had, um, you first thought that you needed to cleanse your liver, mm-hmm. and, and, but it turned out to be a lung problem. Why did you target your liver? Oh, I thought I was thinking that, oh, because when I was in college, I, you know, I was drinking a lot and partying and I just assumed it was the liver, but mm-hmm. it, it was not, um, oh, let me like, oh, let me like clarify. I did not definitively find out if it was a lung or a liver problem. Okay. <laughs> and in, in fact, it could have been both. Um, I just started with the liver, but later on retroactively, when I was looking back at my history, I was like, oh, you know, I had all that upper respiratory stuff going on. And right. so, uh, you know, it could well have been that. But then as I went deeper and deeper, all that upper respiratory stuff as well as liver stuff is all connected to the health of your digestive system. And right, health. exactly. So where do, basically, where, what do you think is the chicken and the egg? Yeah, good question. <laughs> well, I personally believe in, even though my path is sort of this kind of zigzaggy path, um, part of my process it was not a, it was an unconscious thing or maybe like a semi-conscious thing. Uh, part of my healing process was consistently and gradually a cleaning up my diet and B eliminating my exposure to unnecessary toxin. So mm-hmm. my sort of entree into that natural healing and health world came through the personal care side, obviously, because I was dealing with skin things. Right. So once I, once I kind of started uh, seeing improvement with that, I just went back and started looking at all my products that I'd been using, the lotions and the things from the body shop and the all body works or whatever it was. Um, I had all of that stuff and I started reading the labels and really uh, like examining them carefully and trying to understand, okay, what, is, what are all these ingredients in here? Because it looks like a whole lot of chemicals. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what their purpose is. But if I stick something on my, if I stick something on my skin, yeah, what difference does that make what I what I eat or what's going on on the inside? <clears throat> excuse me, on the inside of my body because something that goes on my skin. Explain to people why okay. that why that matters. Okay, here's a good here's a good um, way to look at it. Uh, if you eat something that's like you know, um, contaminated, for example, it's got some kind of toxin in it, it's got chemical or it's, or it's bacteria or what have you, you know, what your body has a built in mechanism to eject that quickly, right? So if you've ever had food poisoning, you know, right, with that, what happens, you're eating something, your body's going, "Uh uh-uh, and it's pushing it out of you uh, forcefully every which way that it can, right? 
But when it comes to toxins and chemicals and foreign substances that are absorbed into your body through your skin, your body doesn't have like an immediate um, mechanism for dealing with that. So the toxins get absorbed into your skin, into your bloodstream, and then they just float around. They float around in your body, and typically they end up lodging themselves in the fatty tissue wherever they can find it, right? So... Uh, there's not really a way for your body to metabolize those chemicals and eliminate them, not easily. And the more you have of that in your body, the more overloaded your liver is, because your liver is one of, your liver and your kidneys are your body's primary detoxification organs, right? Mm -hmm. Their right. primary job is to eliminate toxins. But when they've got the toxins coming at them from all different directions, right? From what we eat, what we drink, what we breathe in, what we rub on our skin, you know, or like, as I like to say, you know, what are you putting in your mouth? What are you rubbing in your skin? And what are you allowing in your environment? Meaning, what are you breathing in every day? You have this overload of toxicity in the body. And most of us have this. We have what's called a, a body burden. And that's a measure of the accumulation of chemicals in our body from our different exposures, all the way back to childhood or even in the womb. Uh, and so these things slow our organs down. And that means our bodies are not no longer functioning at an optimal or even near optimal level. And if you just keep doing what you've been doing and you're allowing the chemicals to come in, there's and there's no easy way to get them out, it's no surprise that so many people are dealing with, you know, autoimmune problems or are dealing with digestive issues, with uh, upper respiratory issues, with skin and allergies and, you know, even worse, right? Uh, but, yeah, the, but we yeah. all know that we're supposed to detox, or at least it's a, a habitual thing for many people to detox once a year. Yeah. So we go through, we do the detox for seven days or whatever, and then we go right back into the exact same lifestyle that we had before. Lather, so, rinse, repeat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so what's, what, what's wrong with that? All right. So, well, first of all, if you do any kind of detoxing, congratulations to you because that's not something that the general population is very savvy about or does on a regular basis. And ideally, if you're doing detoxing and internal cleansing, so I call that cleansing or detoxing from the inside out, right? Uh, you want to do it every quarter, like with the change of seasons is ideal because uh, you change your diet changes depending on the time of year it is and the season. And so that's really a good time to do your sort of internal cleaning. Uh, and I like to think of it like this, if you want to find another analogy, uh, think of all the gunk and the trash that's piling up inside your body. It's like the trash in your home. It gets to a certain point and it has to be taken out, right? Right. Uh, and so the trash in our body has to be taken out. But from, from my perspective, you know, having, if I look at the big picture of my journey, how I got to where I am and what it is I'm trying to help a, a lot of women do is understand how to stem the flow of toxins into the body. So I call that detoxing from the outside in. <laughs> so it's a sort of flip it around kind of perspective. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't or you don't need to detox because you still have a, what we call metabolic waste. So it's just cellular waste from your body's normal processes. And if those get built up too much, it can really cause you to slow down and can cause problems for you. But the real, uh, I think the real key if you want to if you want to call it that to lasting sustainable health and wellness is a we start by stemming the flow of toxins in by eliminating our exposure to, to unnecessary toxins there's a lot of things we can't control you know we don't have a huge amount of control over the overall quality of our air 
we don't have a huge amount of control over the overall quality of our water, uh, but we do have a lot of control over what we choose to introduce into our individual environment. You know, if you're using air fresheners, what kind of air freshener are you using? Is it natural? Is it chemical? If it's chemical, you're breathing all that stuff in and it's getting into your lungs. Uh, and a very area where a lot of consumers get tripped up because, you know, you'll buy your Glade aromatherapy plug-in thinking, oh, it's aromatherapy and aromatherapy is healthy for you. But it's not, just because they say it's aromatherapy doesn't mean it's made with essential or strictly with essential oils. So there are these little nuances that you have to pay attention to. You have to basically become a smart, I call it a smart, healthy shopper. Yeah, because that's basically the aromatherapy that they're talking about is just the smell. Scent. Just and, the yeah, just a, so basically it covers whatever smell you're trying to cover, but it's not therapeutic grade essential oils. So a lot of times it's not even essential oils or mm-hmm. I'll put one essential oil in and say, oh, oh that's true. It could be a perfume. Oil. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the other thing is one of the uh, hidden toxins in scented products in general, not just in your, you know, home air fresheners, but your body care, your perfume, your, you know, your everything that. Laundry uh, soap, dryer sheets. Exactly, dish soap. You know, everything that has a scent in it could be made from a – most, actually, most are made from chemical chemical fragrances. So mm-hmm. they're fragrances that are created in laboratories designed to mimic the smells of real-life things, <laughs> only they're made of chemicals. And mm-hmm. we don't know. Like a lot of – one of the ingredients that's a hidden ingredient in most products is called phthalates, and that's a mouthful. It's pH. T-H-A-L-A-T-E-S, phthalates. And these are uh, industrial plasticizers. So they're ingredients that are used in industry to melt plastics. And they're also used to create fragrances. (laughs) So, and it's because it's a component of an ingredient and not an actual ingredient, it kind of skirts the FDA rules or regulations around um, ingredient disclosure. Hmm. So a company could be using, and a lot of companies may be using fragrances that have phthalates in it and they don't even know because it's not disclosed to them. So this is an endemic problem and it's also one of the reasons why I wanted to do aromatherapy products. If you're working with pure essential oils, you are working with the highest and most potent form of plant extract. So mm-hmm. And that's why less is more. That's how right. the name, I came up with the name Dropwise. <laughs> uh, you don't need a lot to get a result. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just, it's, it's, it's little nuances like that. So the scented products, uh, and then the parabens, which are basically, uh, preservatives, petroleum preservatives mm-hmm. and other petrochemicals, uh, you know, they're, they're very common. Um, it's really eye opening. Sometimes I still go back every now. So in the early days I would go to the, you know, my natural grocer in the body care department, research and study the ingredients on the labels for the products. And then I go to like, you know, Walgreens or the supermarket or someplace and look at them kind of the bigger known well, commercial brands and study those labels and compare. Mm-hmm. And it's really shocking when you, if you really pay attention, you put them side by side, you can see a huge right. difference in the mm-hmm. ingredients. And even within the natural product world, there's sort of levels, you know, some companies are cleaner and greener than others. And we, you know, I was striving to be as clean and green as possible. My ingredients mm-hmm. for my products, um, ingredients matter. They make up. Oh, they absolutely yeah. do. Um, I, I could tell you a, um, 
statistic actually I, I can't tell you the exact statistic but I did I learned this years ago when I was um, studying I'm a master herbalist so when I was studying oh. that I learned um, that uh, morticians actually keep track of how much um, formaldehyde they have to use in order to prepare and embalm a body and over the years, they have to use less and less and less formaldehyde in order to embalm an individual because we're embalming ourselves yeah. by, the, by the things that we put into our mind, into our mouths, in our minds too. Our minds too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, we're busy embalming our own bodies. And so they, they have to use less. And I, I just was so stunned when I learned that. If you think about that, it's like, here, I'm going to eat this Twinkie. Well, how many, you know, I'm, what is that doing to me? Yeah. How is that already pre-pickling me? So, yeah, we do, we do such horrible things to ourselves. We're going to take a quick break and then come back and we're going to continue our conversation with Danya Fami. And she's got some really great tips on how we can better take care of our, of our bodies and come back because you're going to want to know what they are. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating $1 million in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Welcome back. This is Michelle Nagel with Roar to Win. My guest today is Danya Fami, who is the CEO and Alchemist in Chief of Sustainable Health Solutions and founder and formulator for Dropwise Essentials, a line of aromatherapy and organic plant-based personal care products. So, Danya, um, you, when we had had a conversation before we started our podcast, you were talking about four key areas that are critical to address. Would you let us know what those are, please? Oh, sure. Okay. So, one of the things that I, I help women with is learn how to use the natural approach for natural solutions to experience more energy and better health. And it's really kind of taking these four, it's actually really five areas, but we've already sort of talked about one of them and really focus honing in on making changes. And they don't necessarily have to be, I think what happens for a lot of people when they want, when they're not in good health or they want to be in better health, they feel like it's going to be such a big effort, right? It's going to be so hard and I don't have the time and it's expensive. There's all these excuses that we come up with for not doing it. So I like to, uh, take guide people into doing baby steps in these four areas. So the first one, of course, is taking a look at the quality of your sleep. Mm -hmm. Are you getting enough quality sleep? It's not even the number of hours, although obviously more hours is better. <laughs> it's uh, uh, what, what science is teaching us now is that 
during the course of a night, we go through several sleep cycles. Mm -hmm. So we'll be in like a, a sort of semi-awake and then we drop down into deep sleep and then we come back up if you think of a curve, you know, with these waves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the thing that is the most detrimental to the quality of your sleep is whether you actually complete the sleep cycles. So if you complete a sleep, every sleep cycle that you complete uninterrupted is adding to the quality of your sleep. Mm -hmm. so what happens is most of us don't have that kind of nice, smooth, even flow, right? We're tossing and turning. We have a lot of things that interfere with the quality of our sleep. They and so don't. that's, a, oh yeah. <laughs> well, and then, yeah, there's obstacles in your environment. There's obstacles in your habits, in your routines. There is, uh, you know, what, what stimulants like caffeine and things that you have during the day, what mm -hmm. you eat plays a role, what you eat and what time you eat it plays a role. And then um, your stress. And that's mm -hmm. a big one. Stress is a big one. So stress is the second area. And these are not necessarily done in a, in a specific order. Like it will just depend on what's going on with each individual person. But these are the areas you need to look at. You need to manage your stress. If you're stressed out, you're overwhelmed, all of these things will A, impact your sleep. And they also impact the, they have a, there's a chemical reaction that goes on in your body when you're stressed out. And mm -hmm. when you have too much cortisol, guess where that winds up? On your waistline. So mm -hmm. if you don't sleep enough and you have too much cortisol, you, then you have a lot of body fat. And then if you're toxic because you're using products, you know, inhaling and, and rubbing them into your skin, and those chemicals and toxins have nowhere to go, so they lodge themselves in the fatty tissue of your body, and then your body keeps building fat around it to protect you. So your body is really a brilliant machine. <laughs> I hate to call it not really a machine, uh, but it's a brilliant thing that, that knows how to protect you in the best way that it can. But in modern times, we're exposed to so many things that we weren't exposed to like centuries or even decades ago. And so I think a lot of what's happening with people is that the body is doing the best it can to protect you from all this weird stuff that's coming inside. But it has a limit in terms of how well it can do that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, for example, if you have a tumor, a lot of tumors are really your body's way of encasing heavy metals that are floating around in your body and protecting you from the heavy metal damage. And the heavy metals come from pesticides. And it, I mean, that's the main place that it comes from. But then you can be exposed to arsenic in a lot of different ways as well. And so that brings me to the food part. So nutrition, as we've already talked about, plays a key role in your health. The quality of your nutrition, it's not about like, you know, eating too much or eating at the wrong time or, you know, it's, a, it's more about the quality rather than the quantity of the food that you're eating. So much of our food supply is so polluted now, and most people are not aware just how bad the situation is. But if you eat animal products, for example, uh, many animals are treated with antibiotics. They're treated with hormones. They're fed uh, diets that are what we call species inappropriate. So uh, cows are fed wheat, and a lot of times the wheat is genetically modified and has pesticides in it. So all of those toxins are getting into the animal's body lodging into the animal's fat and a little bit into the animal's tissue, you know, the meat. And when you eat that, you're absorbing a lot of that as well. So a lot of women, you know, who are perimenopausal, menopausal, even postmenopausal, are dealing with a lot of hormonal stuff that is getting um, magnified or made worse by these little subtle areas, things that we don't pay attention, that much attention to. So if mm -hmm. you're eating, you know, animal that's been treated with hormone, that is going to have an impact on yours, and it could be quite unpredictable. That's the other part. So, yeah, yeah the reason why the medical system 
is uh, failing a lot of people is it has a very cookie cutter approach to diagnosis mm -hmm. and treatment. And if your thing falls out of the cookie cutter, you're kind of out of luck because they don't really have a tried and true way to address that issue. And so, you know, my person, and my, going back to my journey, um, I had a skin recurrence after 10 years and I thought, well, I ain't going to a doctor for, <laughs> for this. <laughs> so I worked with a homeopath for mm -hmm. a couple of years and uh, I learned a lot from her about how we suppress our body's vital um, energy uh, or vital systems with all these medications and all these things that we take that are, we're taking them with the intention of getting better, but they're actually messing us up even more. It confuses your body because your body has the ability to heal itself, has the blueprint to do that. But when you start throwing other things into the mix, your body has to process that and, and work around it or work through it or jump over it. And I'm being meta very metaphorical here, but uh, that's really a lot of problems. A lot of health problems are the result of things just going awry in your body. Right. And everybody's different. You know, I tell people your body, your health, your health, your diet is not a one-size-fits-all prescription. And that's why it becomes even more critical for us to be very connected to our bodies and listen to the messages that our bodies are always sending us. Yes, I, I really appreciate the, the doctors that I have met um, who are actually kind of turning away from the Western style of doing things. I mean, they're full-fledged doctors. And one of them that I met just recently is even the head of a, a urology department. But they're shifting more into the um, what into the natural health aspects. It's like Western medicine is not helping us because all we're doing is throwing drugs at it. Yep. And throwing drugs at it is throwing a toxin again. It's, it's like, oh, I'm going to correct this problem caused by a toxin by taking a toxin. Yep. And it, it just doesn't <laughs> work really well that way. So it's really important for people to um, select a doctor if that's the way that they're going to go yeah. that is open-minded. And that um, will have uh, that will support them in a, finding a natural way to uh, regain their health. Yeah, a complementary alternative practitioner or yes. a functional medicine doctor. Mm -hmm. uh, and the functional medicine doctors are more focused on your diet and nutrition and how to use. It's really important for people to start thinking about food as their medicine. Mm -hmm. Food is your new the new medicine. <laughs> it's not really new, but it's the new medicine. And plants is your medicine. Mm -hmm. And if you stay within the realm of plants and food as medicine, you will just almost by default start cutting out. So that for my process, it was like I started very simple early on. I was like, okay, I'm going to cut out all processed sugars from my diet. Well, all corn syrup and high fructose corn syrup. Mm -hmm. Because I had been reading, this is good more than 20 years ago. I had been reading, oh, you know, this is really bad for you. So I'm just going to cut it out and I'm not knowingly going to buy or eat anything that has that in it. Mm -hmm. So it was corn syrup, high fructose corn syrup and trans fat. Mm -hmm. Those are the three things I cut out. And guess what? By cutting, by pledging and sticking to that pledge to myself to cut those things out of my diet and knocked out about 80% of the products in your, your typical supermarket. Like you go right. in and you're reading the product labels and you're that's like, right. okay, that, that's no good. Okay. Not doing that, not doing that. So what it does is it kind of forces you into a slightly narrower pool of choices, but actually not because now like with the advent of Whole Foods and all these natural food grocery stores, the, there are a lot of new uh, healthier products coming out all the time. Now, uh, I want to just be clear that 
if just because you shop in Whole Foods doesn't mean everything you buy in Whole Foods is healthy and good for you. Just let's be really clear about that. Again, you have to be a smart shopper and you have to know how to read labels and you have to know what to avoid, what not to avoid, you know, and that's kind of one of the things I cover in the, some of the courses that I teach on healthy eating. Yeah, that's wonderful. So uh, you've given us three of the key areas. What's the fourth one? Okay, so the fourth one is motion and fitness. Okay, mm -hmm. and most people I know like probably. Oh, like, those are bad words. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like going to the gym. I hate going to the gym. I don't want to go to the gym. Well, here's the thing: you don't have to go to the gym. Okay. <laughs> Let's put, put your mind at ease. Uh, by mo motion and what I mean by motion is just moving, moving your body. We are so sedentary. So many of us, we work at computers, we're sitting at the desk, hunched over all the time. We don't like practice. Um, it's really interesting. I, used to, I worked with a personal trainer for a while and he was kind of this little, uh, kind of a quirky guy, but really interesting. And he told me some things that really stuck with me. You know, we would do like a lot of times if you work with a personal trainer, you're going to do a lot of squatting. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, you know, in foreign cultures, squatting is a very normal position because a right. lot of people, especially in under, you know, in third world countries, that's, you've got to squat to go to the bathroom. <laughs> like, so, so squatting is not frowned upon, but he goes here in our society here, people think that's not, um, what's the word he used? I can't remember now. It's not a flattering or it's not a position you want people to see you in somehow. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we don't do that kind of thing, but it's so critical to the lower body you know, your, the mobility. So what I'm talking about, and this is really, I mean, it's important to, be, to have some form of motion and fitness throughout your life, but as we age, it becomes even more important. Mm -hmm. So uh, movement uh, keeps your, your joints limber, so you don't have as much joint and you don't have as much arthritis and that kind of thing. Um, and also what movement does is it increases your circulation. And increases circulation helps you with your energy because it oxygenates your cells. If we don't get enough of that, everything mm -hmm. kind of stagnates. And as we age, we are by nature, we're, we're stagnating. Our body's creating less of the substances it used to create when we were younger. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to do everything in our, in our, our power to support our bodies, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I don't like, I, go, I do Zumba two, three times a week, not mm -hmm. consistently. Sometimes if I'm traveling or if I'm super busy, I might skip. But I've been doing that for like seven years. Mm -hmm. And it's great cardio you're getting in car you get a workout you're just dancing you're dancing pretty much for the most part you do a little bit of squatting <laughs> a little bit of upper uh, body and it really gets the the juices and the blood flowing in my shoulders and my arms and i'm finding that i have very uh few uh issues with like aches and pains and that kind of thing mm -hmm. uh, and so that's an important part of it and it could be like i said it could be yoga it could be just a small stretching routine that you do. Um, as you get older, weight-bearing exercise becomes also very important. So maybe you get a couple of dumbbells or a five or a 10-pound kettlebell at home, and then you just do some exercises, you know? It does require some discipline if you're going to do it on a consistent basis, and that's why I work with a personal trainer at this point, because if it was up to me, I probably wouldn't do it. You know, I'd probably, I'd, la I'd lapse, mm -hmm. you know, I'd black off. Uh, but I really do feel like, um, movement, motion, fitness. I'm, I like to walk and I grew up in New York city. So I would walk, I could walk easily 20, 40, 60 blocks because the city blocks are pretty short, but uh, I always choose to walk whenever I can rather than ride, you mm -hmm. know, or take transportation. If it makes sense, obviously it depends on where you are and where you're going. And I don't mind walking. I like walking. And that's an, another great way to get some exercise 
um, if you're not, you know, into doing anything a little more strenuous. And now the other thing is a lot of people um, have either not been exercising for a long stretch of time, so it's difficult for them to get back into it. Mm -hmm. And other people stop because they get injured or they have some kind of ache and pain and they're afraid to hurt themselves. But the truth is like if you, a lot of times with, with some injuries, if you don't move, you don't heal faster. You'll heal faster and have less pain if you actually move. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, one time my mom, she's 95 now, this was probably about seven years ago, she had really bad sciatic pain. And because the healthcare system is so efficient, it took us a week to get her into the surgeon to get her an epidural because that was the only thing that was going to help her pain. So I was with her for several days and she was in agony. But what she told me was that when she got up and moved around, it hurt less mm -hmm. than when she was sitting or laying down. So there's just certain things that we are um, subconsciously or unconsciously doing because we don't want to push ourselves, but it actually is making things worse rather than better. Okay. So what about the people who are already feeling like totally overwhelmed? You've suggested that we start eating healthy, which usually means that you have to make all your foods from scratch and you don't go out and eat as much, which is not, nece not necessarily, but, but it gets yeah. rid of the, a convenience. Right. So if, if you've got enough money to take, you know, get your whole family and take them out to dinner. Right. right. It's really, it really yeah. expensive. So, yeah. um, so you're, you're talking about, the nutrition point, which means that it's going to take more of my time. And yeah. now you're talking about exercise and that takes more of my time too. And you're talking about that. I, I can't use all of my, my usual go-to products that I would rush through the grocery store. I know exactly what shelf they're <laughs> on it. It's easy. Just reach over, grab them, throw them in it. You know, I'm in and out really fast because I know all that. So why on earth would I go to all of this effort? You're asking me to do things that are, are going to take more of my time and I'm already feeling overwhelmed. Why is it important for me to do these things? Uh, well, let me, okay, let me put it to you this way. If you think wellness is expensive, try illness, mm -hmm. right? What does it cost? I mean, if anyone, and I'm sure we have some people who'll be listening who've had some kind of major health thing where they had to go to go be hospitalized briefly or be in a sort of longer term kind of therapeutic thing. It's really expensive. Mm -hmm. um, the healthcare system is expensive. The future of health insurance is rocky. I do personally believe that we're heading to single payer. It's going to come. It's just a question of when. However, relying on insurance to, to, for your health is not sustainable. <laughs> it's not a sustainable approach. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, and I get it. I'm a busy person too, and I get overwhelmed. I got a lot on my shoulders. Uh, but I make health a priority. But if you don't make health a priority, you're not going to do it. If you need to be convinced that your health is, has to be a priority, I would say you need to like reassess your priorities. Because mm -hmm. if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Right. And the, the fastest growing ailment that we have are um, heart disease and Alzheimer's. Okay, um, I want to. Yeah, I want to say something about that. Please do. So, uh, um, Dr. Daniel Amen, the brain doctor, has done research, mm -hmm. and his findings are shocking. One of the things he says is that the brain degradation that leads to Alzheimer's can start as early as three to five decades before you see any visible signs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and so here's another tip for you. <laughs> 
<laughs> for our listening audience. So, and this comes from his research. So he said that people that lead a primarily protein-based diet have a 20% lower risk of getting Alzheimer's. So primarily protein means, you know, like lean meats and, and fish and nuts and dairy and all this kind of stuff, with it all, also with a healthy um, serving of vegetables. Now, his, people who lead a fat, like have a primarily fat-based diet, healthy fat now we're talking about, and I'll, and I'll clarify in a minute if that's necessary. People who have, uh, eat a primarily healthy fat-based diet have a 40% lower risk of getting Alzheimer's. So you cut your risk in half by switching from a primarily protein-based diet to a primarily high-quality fat-based diet. So high-quality high means you know, grass-fed uh, meats and dairy. It means uh, organic you know, coconut oil, organic olive oil. It means not eating low-grade oils like many of the ones that are uh, sold, packaged and sold to you in the market as healthy, the vegetable, the polyunsaturated vegetable oils, because those are actually not healthy for you. Uh, but that's a discussion for another time. <laughs> uh, I can't get into it too much right now. But so think about that. All right, so protein, you're 20% lower. Fat, healthy fat, you're 40% lower. Now, here's the real shocker. If you eat a primarily carbohydrate-based diet, which is really what the you know what's now being called the standard American diet. Mm -hmm. Your risk for Alzheimer's increases four hundred percent. Wow! Yeah, four hundred percent. Like if that's not enough to make you pause and mm -hmm. really think about what am I putting in my mouth every day? Is this feeding me and helping me, or is it hurting me? Right. And so, also how important yeah. it is, like you mentioned, the, the movement and stuff like that. They've, they've shown that you can also stave that degradation off by walking. I right. mean, it, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to go climb Mount Everest or anything. Just, right. just get out and walk. Right. And also if you challenge your brain, like learning something like a new language, mm -hmm. or learning how to play a musical instrument, it forces the you know the neurons in your brain and it, and it creates new new neurological pathways to help you learn so these are all things you can start doing you don't have to wait till you're old to start doing them because usually if you're waiting till that point it is kind of hard to right. rever reverse the trend remember if it's starting three to five decades earlier you are really you know not getting a leg up that's why it's so important for i feel for women uh, you know, in, in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s, this is your golden opportunity to make the shift so that as you get into old age, you are still living a productive life and you still look and you feel good. You're not going yeah. to mm -hmm. go down that rabbit hole of chronic disease, terminal illness, mobility issues or disability, misery, and then you need to be taken care of. Yes, there were um, two women when I was growing up that I really, really, really admired. And um, they were in their 90s and they had what I called pink hair. Their, it, their hair was so snowy white and their scalp was so pink. Oh. That it this little glow, like this little pink <laughs> halo. It was just so beautiful. And they were the sweetest ladies, but the oldest one, who was 96 at the time I asked her, um, I said, how have you maintained your memory? Because at that time, my grandmother, who was only in her 60s, had gone into a facility with Alzheimer's. 
And, um, and so here's this woman and she's like 96 and she's just as sharp as a tack and had a great sense of humor and she was wonderful. And I said, how do you do it? And she said, I learn something new every year. And mm. this year I'm teaching myself how to type. So she was learning how to type and she was typing up her memoirs uh, for her life history, but she'd not ever known how to type before. So she kept her brain moving constantly by learning new things. Yeah. And also because there's a physical component to that where you actually have to physically move your body while you're doing oh, it. Oh, you're typing, yeah. You're typing, yeah. So you yeah. have to physically move your body while you're doing it. And when you combine the body and the mind together so that they work together, then it's going to preserve your mental faculties much, much better. So, um, Donya, you've got some uh, big stressors going on in your life right now, too, um, with your mother yeah. who has aged, and yeah. you're finding that you need to care for her. How do you care for you while you're caring for her? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I am fortunate in that I don't actually have to be the direct caregiver for my mom. Mm -hmm. uh, so I have uh, caregivers that come during the day to be with her. However, I still have to coordinate all that. And I have to be there for her emotionally because this is a difficult time for her. So she's 95, bless her heart. Um, and solid as a rock. I mean, she's not really had any major illnesses in the last 10 years since my father passed away. Uh, but she does have dementia. It has mm -hmm. been slowly and gradually creeping in. Um, and she does have macular degeneration, so uh, her vision is deteriorating, and those two things together are making it very challenging for her. Mm -hmm. But she's still kind of, uh, she's not that far gone is a thing, but she is in a place where she's struggling. So for me, it's been very stressful. I'm an only child, so I don't have family around to support me in terms of making decisions or just to be there for her in a way, you know, where I can't always be there for her. Mm -hmm. uh, and we talk every day. And, uh, and now I'm getting ready to move her into an assisted living facility with memory care so that she can have 24-hour sort of coverage, mm -hmm. so to speak. And also have an opportunity to be in an environment where she can thrive. She's stagnating because she lives alone in a retirement community where it's really quiet <laughs> and there's uh -huh. not a lot going on. So she needs the stimulation. Um, in terms of taking care of, for, of myself, uh, one of the things I started doing about I want to say, last fall um, as I started doing a daily meditation. Mm -hmm. So for years, I've been wanting to do that. And I've been on that place. And I'm sure a lot of people are in those places like, Oh, I don't know how to do meditate. I can't quiet my mind. You know, I can't be still and quiet for like 15, 10, 15, 20 minutes. Uh, but I went on a meditation retreat and I learned a particular type of meditation that was remarkably actually easy to do. And mm -hmm. one of the things that the meditation teacher told us um, is that when you're meditating, it's okay for you to have thought. Mm -hmm. fact, the whole purpose of the meditation is for you to be quiet and allow all those thoughts to rise up and out. Mm -hmm. That's your body's way of releasing stress. So it's a very effective technique for relieving stress. So if you sit, because you can sit down, you do it for 20 minutes, you're supposed to do it twice a day. I have not gotten to the point where I'm doing it twice a day, mainly because of all the demands on my time and energy right now. Uh, so I am doing it once a day with the intention of adding a second uh, session later in the day. Uh, but basically, it's okay she goes to have what you can, you might consider it to be a superficial meditation because your mind is just so active the whole time. But mm -hmm. the whole goal of that meditation is to a, let all his thoughts come up um, unfiltered. 
and uncensored. You just mm -hmm. let it all come up and then you are sort of observing from a distance. If that mm -hmm. makes any sense. Yes, sort of yes. like just observing your thoughts and you're not reacting to them. Right. The stress comes from reacting to situations that are, are either unpredictable or are creating an outcome that's different from what you wanted or expected or that you're not happy about. And then, you know, it kind of feeds on itself. So it's a very, very, been a very effective way of helping me stay grounded and present. And of course, you know, paying attention to what I eat and making sure I'm eating, you know, I, I, I make a point of eating um, higher grade foods, healthier mm -hmm. foods and I stay away from low-grade foods. And I feel like it's very broad. It's a very broad statement. Uh, but, you know, once you understand, like, what ingredients are most commonly used in a lot of packaged, and not even just packaged foods, but prepared foods. Mm -hmm. Like, you go to the store and you buy food that's already been cooked. Right. And, eating, and you think you're eating fresh food. Well, guess what? It just has a payload of canola oil in it. And canola oil is just really one of the worst oils you can put in your body. Seriously low-grade oil. Uh, most of the canola oil is even if it's non-GMO and there's no way to know if it really is because there's no certifying, mm -hmm. there's no official certifying body for that. Um, even if it's non-GMO, most canola oil is processed oil. And so it's already kind of um, rancid. When you buy it off the shelf in the store, it's already rancid. And mm -hmm. it's used quite a lot. I've noticed in Whole Foods, it's used in Trader Joe products. It's used a lot of products that I used to eat more of and now I don't eat them anymore. <laughs> it's like, just keep it clean clean fats, clean um, quality fat, clean quality protein. Mm -hmm. And then I just try not to overdo it with a carb. And then sugar is the other one. Mm -hmm. You really got to cut way back on your sugar consumption. And that's a difficult thing for a lot of people to do. Mm -hmm. But the best way to do that is to retrain or trick your brain into craving healthier alternatives. And that's a process, you know, it right. takes a while to go through that. Yeah. So we just need to be more, um, more conscious and more aware of what we what we do and and what's in the food that we eat and what we put in our bodies and things. So, Danya, how can somebody reach you if they're interested in knowing more about what you do? Uh, well, I have a Facebook group. If you're on Facebook, you can uh, join my Facebook group. It's called Women's Wellness and Natural Healing for Success, and I'll give you the link, Michelle. You can post it on the uh, okay. on the page along with this. Uh, and uh, I have a free guide that I offer up and it's called uh, Heal Yourself Naturally, Three Steps to Life-Changing Results, where I sort of go into a lot of what we've been talking about here today, just kind of in a more summarized format. So it's a nice little reminder of what are like the key things you got to look at and pay attention to if you want to create health and maintain and sustain it. And you can get that at www.yourhiddenhealth.com minds.com is a mouthful so i'll give you that link so you can post it as well and, uh, if you opt in for that report i will add you in you'll come into my community i'll add you into my database and you'll receive uh health more health tips and content and trainings and all that sort of thing all that fun stuff <laughs> okay wonderful thank you so much Donya, for being with us and for sharing your expertise and i uh, would recommend to my listeners to go ahead and check out what Donya has and um, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today as we learned happiness hacks, relationship tools, how to refuel our resilience batteries and perfect our roar. Resilience, optimism, accountability, and resourcefulness. Roar to win.
I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This is the EWN Podcast Network.